Welcome to It's a Sublime Life. Inspiration on living an excellent life and seeing the beauty already in life. You can find It's a Sublime Life on most social media platforms. Just search for It's a Sublime Life. Sublime Life. I'm your host, Hayley. Uh, we have a guest on today, Lindsay Browning. Hey, uh, she's a sleep expert, and I thought it would be great to have her on because it's sleep is the chosen theme for Mental Health Awareness Week in 2020, which I think is in May. Uh, yep. And uh, she is a speaker, a neuroscientist, which I think is really impressive, uh, a sleep consultant uh, with a doctorate from the University of Oxford. And she investigated uh, the relationship between worry and insomnia there. She also has a master's in neuroscience and a degree in psychology, which is a first class degree, which is um, exceptional. Uh, you founded Trouble Sleeping in 2006, um, website at troublesleeping.co.uk. Uh, you're also a chartered psychologist and associate fellow of the British Psychological Society, um, a member of the British Sleep Society and a member of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. So you have lots of uh, um, interesting memberships. Um, where are we? Uh, your services. So no, I hold on a second. Oh yeah, you've worked um, also uh, as a universal lecturer in the USA, and your services um, include adult and child sleep services, uh, corporate services, and you also offer a free fifteen-minute consultation to see if you can help, and presumably refer on if not uh, you've also been on bbc radio which must have been fun uh let's see right so general questions what and now they call it sleep hygiene don't they what are the general rules if you like of good sleep hygiene yes um so some one of the most important and easy things to fix is going to bed at the same time and same getting up at the same time each day because it doesn't sound very interesting. I mean, we'd all love to go to bed much later on a Friday and Saturday because you're out partying and then get up much later on a Saturday morning and Sunday morning. But then if you want to shift your sleep back on a Sunday night to going to bed early again because you have to be at work early Monday morning, it's really hard for us to shift our sleep that quickly in just one night. You're giving yourself a kind of jet lag yeah. If you think about how hard it is when our sleep changes, when the clocks go forwards or the clocks go back, yeah. people really struggle with that one hour change. So if you're doing that to yourself on a Friday, Saturday night, and then back to another sleep schedule on a, on a Sunday night, it's again, it's really hard for your body to do that. So if you have a set, you know, regular bedtime, regular wake time, seven days a week, you'll find your sleep is, is much better, even though it's a bit boring. Yes, but I can tell, I can absolutely tell if I do that and how a bit rubbish I feel on a Saturday or Sunday morning if I've done that. So um, I can absolutely see that as one of the uh, good sleep hygiene rules. That <laughs> um, would be having a wind down time before bed, which is so much easier said than done. 
But I always akin it to, you think about baby sleep and kids sleep, we always give them a really nice wind down routine. You know, you don't get your kids wound up by chasing them around the house and then expect them to instantly go to bed. You make sure that they're having some calm time before bedtime. And if you've got, you know, an awesome Uncle Paul who comes over and revs them up for, you know, right before they go to bed, you, you kind of might be, the kids might love Uncle Paul, but you might be <laughs> really, that's really not helping me. So, you know, with kids, we give them a wind down time. We give them a, a bath, dim the lights, you have milk, story, pajamas, teeth, bed, and it just helps them to get ready for sleep in your yawning, their yawning before they're even in bed. And then when we get to be an adult, we kind of just chuck all that out the window. We yeah. just think, well, I'm going to maximize as much as I can do in my life. Yes. Yeah. On, my, on my laptop, working in bed, put the laptop down next to the bed, close my eyes. But your mind's still absolutely buzzing and it's really hard to fall asleep. So it's really important to prioritize sleep and to make some time to wind down just to give your yeah. brain a chance to just start to switch off and your adrenaline and all your anxiety to calm down and sleep will be a lot easier. Yes. Yeah, and absolutely to prioritize sleep. Um, I've recently been trying to do this and you mentioned stories um, to children and um, there's, there's an app, well, I'm sure there's a lot of apps out there, um, but they're adult sleep stories and I just find them really, I just find them lovely to go to sleep to. And so even adults can do that if they like. Um, different people have different is it circadian rhythms is that or is that something different is that yeah. rhythm is your own internal clock so that's why your body will know when it's morning when it's nighttime when it's time for lunch without you looking at the clock because your body has its own internal clock that's your circadian rhythm and that takes a long time to adjust that's why you get jet lag because your body is still on one circadian rhythm time and yeah. then if you go to you know asia then your body is still on UK time, but you're in Asia and then you're feeling sleepy when they're awake and feeling hungry when it's nighttime, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So is it quite a fluid thing then? Because there's talk that teenagers, for example, will have a different circadian rhythm to adults and the way they like to lie in in the morning for longer and stay up later at night. Yeah, there's, there's individual variations. So you get larks and owls. So morning people who are the larks and owls who are the evening people. And that just means that your circadian rhythm, if you're a lark, makes you feel much more alert in the morning relative to the evening. And owls tend to sort of become more alert and more awake and more creative as the day goes on. Now, even though that's the one, the, uh, your circadian rhythm is in, in one UK time, but you can peak earlier or later. With teenagers, what we find is that their circadian rhythm actually shifts later. So they want to go to bed later and they want to get up later. And as parents, we often look at them and think, you just go to bed or you're in bed, but they, you don't realize they're still awake at midnight. And then you're trying to get them up for school or at the weekend, they'll sleep until 10 or 11. And we think, oh, teenagers are so lazy. But actually they're not, they're just, their circadian rhythm is, is shifted later. Yeah. And what's really fascinating is that we think that's an evolutionarily thing that, you know, years ago, teenagers' circadian rhythm started to do this shift. So when they became teenagers, they would start to want to go to bed, they would get tired later and want to sleep in later to carve out some time in the evening when they're awake 
but all the adults are asleep. She lets them have some time to have individual, you know, to become individuals, to find themselves, to make friends, to really come into their own. And as teenagers get older into adulthood, then their circadian rhythm starts to shift back earlier again and they join the rest of the adult population, going to bed at a more reasonable time and waking up at a reasonable time. Um, and equally, as we get very old, so the elderly, we find their circadian rhythms shift earlier. So teenagers are going to bed later, oh, but the elderly go to bed earlier. So their circadian rhythms want them to start going to bed earlier and then equally waking up a lot earlier. And that can be a really big problem because if you imagine um, if you're an elderly person and you're feeling sleepy early in the evening and you go to bed or you go to sleep, you fall asleep in front of the telly or, or you go to bed early at say eight o'clock, if you're over 65 years old, you probably only need between seven and eight hours sleep a night. You're unlikely to need nine. So let's say you fall asleep at 8 p.m. You're going to wake up at three in the morning having had seven hours sleep and you'll think, oh no, I've got a trouble with my sleep. I've got insomnia because it's three in the morning. I can't go back to sleep. I'm really unhappy. I'm lonely. It's dark. This is really terrible. I need to sleep until seven. But if you're going to bed at 8 p.m., there's no way on earth you're going to be able to sleep until 7 a.m. So with, with elderly people, it's really important that we try and help them to be able to stay up later so they'll sleep in later in a more socially harmonious, acceptable time frame so they're not lonely. Mm. Um, one way you can do that is just literally stay up later and try and fight it. But um, you can get um, a light box. So light is a really powerful regulator of our circadian rhythm. So if you artificially get bright light a bit later in the day, it makes your brain think that actually, oh, it's, it's actually, uh, we need to stay up a bit later. It's earlier than I thought. It's actually, you know, it's not four in the afternoon. It's actually midday. So we should stay up a bit later and then you'll find it easier to stay up later, go to bed later and then get up later the next morning. Okay. And does that work with teenagers too? In a, I suppose. Yeah. Well, what's really important with teenagers is, well, one, to just accept that they're not being lazy. And um, in America, there's huge scientific push at the moment to make schools start a bit later. I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah. And that's also because in the US, and I used to live there, um, high schools, so that's when you're doing your um, GCSEs and A-levels, mm -hmm. they start generally really early. School can start at half seven or even earlier, which is really, really early. And if you're a teenager and your natural inclination is to sleep until nine, then getting up really, really early for school, if you're still going to bed at midnight, you're not getting enough sleep. So what they want to do is to make the high schools start later. So it, they're not talking about starting at 10, you know, 10 a.m. It's just relative to other schools. And in the UK, you know, our schools do start a bit later anyway. So that's why we're not quite so panicked about that circadian thing. But yeah, with teenagers, if you help them to get up at the weekend, actually get up at a regular time just like i said at the start if you have a regular bedtime wake time and don't let them sleep in then you'll help their circadian rhythms to just be anchored a bit earlier and then yeah. they'll sleep a bit earlier and get up earlier and also make sure they're getting light lots of bright light in the morning mm -hmm. you can get that through a light box you can fake it with a um an sad lamp light box or just get outside you know if they get outside in the morning you know 10 o'clock in the morning 9 10 11 
they're going to get lots of bright sunlight, which is going to help them be really awake and help their circadian rhythms anchor a bit earlier in the day and help them to fall asleep earlier and get up earlier. Fantastic. Um, and one of my next questions you've just addressed is effect on uh, with of natural daylight. Um, and people have difficulty with this in winter, don't they? Um, is it called seasonal affective disorder? Is that the kind of so seasonal affective disorder? The word affect is your feelings. So um, seasonal affective disorder is the winter blues. It's mm. the fact that we get sad in the winter because sunlight makes us happy. But also, sunlight regulates our sleep. So um, seasonal affective disorder isn't specifically a sleep problem. It's, it's a, a kind of winter depression. But it is linked to, to light. So in the winter, what regulates our circadian rhythm is getting sunlight at midday. Because our brains are hardwired to tell when we get the most lux, the most light of the day. And if you imagine, in the summer or in the winter, the sun is always nearest us at midday. That doesn't change we just get less daylight hours but the sun is always its maximum intensity at midday i know it's very scientific sorry but no no i like i like it <laughs> but the point is in the winter it's more likely to be rainy cold snowing overcast so even though the sun is at its most intense at midday we're less likely to go outside because it might be raining or even to see it if it's too cloudy so it's really helpful this sad light box that can help you feel happier yeah. in the winter because it gives you light, which, which genuinely getting sunlight, you know, think about when we go on holiday, we feel happier or we feel just happier when it's sunny. Yeah. So if you get a, a light box to make you have artificial bright light, you'll feel happier, but also you can use it at the right time of day to help your sleep. So it's really, really, really important that people who have seasonal affective disorder, for example, don't put their light box on in the evening when they come home from work, because that's going to make their body think it's the middle of the day yeah. and make them really struggle to fall asleep at the normal bedtime because their body, their brain will be thinking, if you use your SAD light box at 6 p.m. when you come home from work, then your brain will be going, hey, it's the middle of the day right now. We need to be sleepy about eight hours from now, yeah. which be two in the morning. Yeah, so it's, it's really important to use your light box sort of late morning, midday, depending on when you're feeling sleepy if you need to make yourself become sleepy a bit earlier or become sleepy a bit later then use it but generally around sort of 10 11 12 is a good time okay but not really late yeah i'm just thinking i'm just thinking of workers that can't use their uh light box at that time would it then um be advisable to use it in the morning not in the evening or just not at all yeah, um, well, what's great is if you, if you have to work, if you're working between nine to five, then just go outside at midday. I mean, you don't need a light box. If you can get outside, even if it's overcast or cloudy, if you get outside and have a walk around, you'll still get some light, you'll still get some stimulation. Um, if you wanted to use a light box, just because it's so bright, that's why it's important not to use it at the wrong times. Um, generally, you could use it if you use it um, in the morning or if you put it on your desk at work, that'd be great. You know, you'd use it, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. You don't have to look at it. It's not something that you have to sit there and stare at. Just put it on next to your desk, carry on with your day for a bit. And then that light is going to just 
fill your eyes, make you feel happier and help you sleep later that day. But yeah, absolutely. If you can, just get outside in the sun, literally. Yeah. Okay. And presumably it wouldn't hurt anyone else in the office if you were to just have it on your desk there. Um, the effect gets hugely reduced the further away you are from it but you would want to check with your colleagues if they're particularly sensitive or if they're just really annoyed with you so it's <laughs> something that that would need to be accepted in your office but generally speaking it it's a positive that most people would see as a positive but if, if your colleagues aren't happy with it then just stick to it at the weekend or uh, or just go outside in the sun yeah, yeah, no good advice. Now, there's a lot of talk about this topic. Uh, mobile phones or devices with blue light. What mm -hmm. is your um, take on using them in the evening or having it by your bedside or et cetera, et cetera? And I know, I know on my phone, I've got it to a setting of reduced blue light. How mm -hmm. effective is that generally? And is it still going to have a big effect even if it's on reduced blue light well there's there's two issues of why phones aren't great in the bedroom one is the blue light and yes you can get you know my iphone has got a night mode setting which if you put night mode on it takes away the blue light frequency but it doesn't take away all the blue light by default there's actually a setting underneath where you can move the little dot to make it more warm or less warm so more you know, moving it all the way to the right will take out even more of the blue light yeah. And it makes your phone look a bit weird because it looks kind of yellow, but it does take away loads of the blue light, which will really, really help because blue frequency light is that specific light frequency your brains are looking for to regulate your circadian rhythm. So the light box we talked about before, going outside in the sunshine, that's flooding you with this blue light. It's flooding you with all frequencies of light, but our brains are just looking for that one particular frequency. So yes, if you're going to use your phone, um, you know, iPad, anything that's near your face in the evening, I would definitely put night mode on. Definitely. I do it on my phone all the time. It just default comes on. But there's another reason why phones aren't great in the bedroom. And that's because they distract you. You know, if you think about Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those things are designed to be addictive. You know, the scrolling, when you scroll, you don't ever get to the end of Instagram or to the end of Facebook. You don't get to the bottom and you go, oh, great, I finished Facebook. I'll go to bed now because it will never, ever, ever, ever end ever. That's the whole point. They're designed to be like that. So you just keep scrolling. And, and why that's so bad for your sleep is because you're just in bed scrolling through whatever it is and you lose track of time. And before you know it, you spent an hour or two of your life scrolling through cat videos. And then you're like, oh, no, it's two in the morning. I really need to go to bed. And no one has ever said the next morning, I am so happy that I spent that hour on Facebook. True, well. that's true, isn't it? <laughs> so, so, so if you get rid of your phone, if you leave it downstairs, if you leave it out of the bedroom, you're just not motivated to do that kind of waste of time. You, I, if you want to do something before bed, make it mindful, make it something that you've chosen to do and something that you can stop. So again, um, you know, having phones in bed is distracting because your brain is just it thinks, oh yeah, let's look at another one, or let's look at another one, and you're not going to sleep. Um, but also other things like TV, Netflix, BBC iPlayer, they are equally cleverly designed to keep you watching them. You know, you watch an episode of something 
and it's your bedtime and you think okay great it's finished i'll go to bed now and then it says oh the next one's starting in 15 seconds and you think oh, Netflix. Yeah, i shouldn't i shouldn't watch that because it's past better oh oh it started now and then you're watching the next one and of course then you're not going to bed on time so it's really about making the intention to go to bed at a certain time because there is so much in life out there to distract you from it if your phone is downstairs you can't be checking on all those things but also you can't look you can't get an email from your boss or from someone that you've had a row with that will then make you feel stressed or sad you're not being prompted by those things and you're tempted in the middle of the night to wake up and look at your phone and then maybe get involved in replying to an email so you'll wake up in the night there isn't your phone there so you'll just go back to sleep again yeah 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 <laughs> some good some more good advice yeah <laughs> um there are some uh, there is a theory where if you are too focused on getting your sleep if you're mm-hmm. having your lavender in your bath and if you're um playing your sleep stories and if you lying in a certain position and if you've got a certain smell in the room and um, then and it's not working uh, perhaps then you should kind of let go of everything let go of some of the anxiety around your sleep and just start from basics just start just relaxing basically around that topic and what's your take on that or knowledge um, that is completely and utterly the problem when people have insomnia. So insomnia that's caused by um, your brain over, uh, being overactive, by being anxious about sleep. And I see clients all the time. Generally, if you're going through a difficult time, like maybe um, like the coronavirus right now that's very topical, people are really worrying about that. Um, or you have a new baby that's waking up in the night or you've got an exam the next day, something that short-term is stressing you, you're not gonna sleep well. And no one is going to avoid that right now. But over time, you start to, you know, your baby starts sleeping through and you're sleeping better, or your exam's over, or you've got contingency plans and the coronavirus is now not such a stress. So you're not stressed anymore. But often people will at that point still be very stressed about their sleep because they've started to worry about it. And they've started to, like you said, use lavender oil, to use sleep stories, to try and have all these rituals to try and help them sleep better because they weren't sleeping well, so they've tried to fix it. Um, And as soon as you try and fix your sleep, it starts to go wrong because sleep is the one thing you cannot do by trying harder at it. Mm -hmm. If you think about good sleepers or a time when you were a good sleeper, how did you fall asleep? And the answer invariably is, I just, I just closed my eyes. Yeah, yeah I just I, did it. <laughs> no one who's a good sleeper says, well, what I did is I got my special lavender spray, and I, and I did this particular meditation, and I got my special sleep pillow, and they just close their eyes. So as soon as you start to try and do, try and control your sleep, try and problem solve, try and fix it, your adrenaline is going up, your stress levels are going up because you're trying to achieve something. Mm-hmm. And not only that, you become hypervigilant. That means your own brain starts to go into a bit of overdrive of sensing your own body to try and say, are we actually falling asleep? Because it's important I go to sleep soon, so I need to check if I'm falling asleep. Yeah. And then you're listening to your heartbeat. 
oh, my heart's beating quite fast now. You're sensing your own bodily sensations. And of course, by doing these things, you're making yourself even more awake. The more stress you put on falling asleep, the less likely you are to sleep. So absolutely, what you said is absolutely right. If you want to sleep well, just stop trying. Just stop it. And then you're much more like, just, just make sure that you're, you've got a good opportunity to sleep, that you've done all the right things, your brain isn't going 100 miles an hour, that your bedroom is cool and dark and comfortable, that everything is just in the right way, and then sleep might happen. And that's great. But you can't make sleep happen. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I, I mean, it's, it's a hot topic because when I, when I put the, you know, put it out there that I'm having a neuroscientist on the show and, it, and sleep expert and did ever, anyone have any questions, I was deluged with them. So everybody's got their uh, sleep questions. Um, so let's, let's look at um, a couple now. Um, yeah. So we have a lady saying, no matter how long she sleeps, she says she isn't getting enough REM. So she feel and and she feels uh, tired in the day. How can that be changed? Okay. Well, I'd like to know why she thinks she's not getting enough REM, and if it's from a Fitbit or something, possibly. Then they're really not that accurate. I mean, I, I they're getting better. So as of today. Generally, they're not great, especially if it's a slightly older model. And I find very frustrated when people are given facts from their device that maybe aren't accurate. And then worrying about something that is probably not even true. Mm. Or they're being given facts without context. Context. So, um, yeah, there's the only way of knowing if she's getting enough REM is if she's been wired up to an overnight polysomnography, which is what I used to do, stick electrodes in people's head, monitor their brain activity, monitor their eye movements, monitor their breathing, check if they're asleep, if they're dreaming, if they're in deep sleep, light sleep, dreaming sleep. If her watch is just telling her something, that's very unlikely to be accurate. Mm. Um, Your body knows generally what you need. And everyone has sleep cycles when they go to sleep and about every hour and a half to two hours, you'll have a light sleep, a deeper sleep, and a dreaming sleep. Okay. I've seen people whose Fitbits have said that they have three hours of deep sleep at the start of the night, and then 20 minutes of REM, and then another hour of deep sleep. That's, that's just not possible. That's not how sleep works. Or they have you know, deep sleep first, and then two hours of REM. And Sleep is always in the same pattern for everybody. And your body knows how much you need. If you're really exercising a lot, you need more deep sleep. That's where your body repairs. Okay. Dreaming sleep is where your brain processes what's going on in your life. So if you're um, going through some kind of difficulty, like let's say the your exam stress or a relationship issue, your brain will be processing and trying to make sense of that in dreaming sleep. So is now, that the emotional part then that it's trying to process in dream sleep? Yeah. yeah. Emo- Right. Okay. So, um, so what happens is you have these things called sleep cycles, like I mentioned, when you have light sleep, deep sleep, dreaming sleep, the first sleep cycle of the night has quite a lot of deep sleep in it. The second sleep cycle of the night has a bit less deep sleep and a little bit more REM sleep, but not very much. The third sleep cycle will have much less REM sleep 
um, sorry, much less deep sleep and quite a bit more REM sleep. And then towards the end of the night, before you wake up, you're having lots of REM sleep. And each sleep cycle has a similar amount of light sleep. So it's just the fact that at the start of the night, you have quite a lot of deep sleep relative to dreaming sleep. And at the end of the night, you have quite a lot of dreaming sleep relative to deep sleep. Right. So if the lady that you mentioned is um, only sleeping for the first three hours of the night, then yes, she probably isn't having enough REM sleep, but she isn't having enough sleep, full stop. Um, but generally, our bodies are quite good at giving us the right proportion of sleep within it. Okay. Yes. Sorry, I, I lost you a bit now. And so sorry. Is, I lost. <laughs> sorry. Let me just. Get, so is REM sleep the same as dream sleep? Yes. I'm so, so yeah. sorry. Yeah. It's just so when you dream, your eyes rapidly move underneath your eyelids, and that's called rapid eye movement or REM sleep. So yes, yeah, so REM sleep is dreaming sleep. Sorry, I use the term interchangeably. Yes. <laughs> you have. Every sleep cycle, you have light sleep, deep sleep, and dreaming sleep. Light sleep, deep sleep, dreaming sleep. Yes. But the proportion of that changes as the night goes on. Yes. As you're reaching the end of the night, you're nearly going to wake up. You have mainly light sleep and dreaming sleep and almost no deep sleep. At the start of the night, you have mainly light sleep and deep sleep and very little dreaming sleep. Okay. Okay, so maybe this lady can just have a, a, a private chat with you to see what should yeah. she do. She's, is she still feeling tired in the day? Um, that's, that's another thing. So when people say, I've had, let's say, I've had um, seven, eight hours sleep a night, but I still feel tired in the day. Yeah. That's a very different, that's a, that's a proper thing. So if you wake up in the morning uh, and you've, had enough sleep but you still feel shattered and you still feel shattered throughout the day and you think why is this i'm sleeping for eight hours a day and i'm still feeling exhausted mm -hmm. then then i start to worry a little bit you know why why are you still tired because you shouldn't be that tired if you've had you know eight nine hours a day and often a reason that can happen is something called sleep apnea which is where people stop breathing during the night and if you have this thing called sleep apnea, which is really, really common and very undiagnosed or underdiagnosed um, because people don't realize it, what basically happens is you're sleeping, but waking yourself up, sleeping, waking yourself up throughout the night as you stop breathing, which means that you might be asleep for eight, nine hours, but your sleep has not had the beautiful sleep cycles I was talking about. Right. It's been really disrupted the whole night. You won't remember waking up possibly any of those times. So you'll think, your sleep was fine, but it wasn't. And that's why you're shattered. Another reason people feel tired in the morning is where you are in your sleep cycle. So if you're in light sleep or deep sleep or dreaming sleep, yeah. so re really um, dictates how you feel at that moment. So if you imagine, you know, at the start of the night, you have quite a lot of deep sleep relative to at the end of the night. Yes. And at the start of the night, let's say you were in deep sleep, and that's the sleep that kids have lots of really deep sleep and they're really hard to wake up, which is a good thing when the tooth fairy and father Christmas come. <laughs> yeah. But that's why the tooth fairy and father Christmas do tend to come at the start of the night and they don't come at five in the morning because kids are not having as deep sleep at five in the morning. So the tooth fairy and father Christmas are very clever. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's also why you can pick your child up out the car, carry them upstairs, put them in bed and they'll still be asleep because they were in deep sleep. Now, if you were woken up from deep sleep by a fire alarm, 
you would feel so groggy and disorientated because you were so far from consciousness, so deeply asleep, you would be like, oh, what is going on? Where even am I? If you wake up from really, really light sleep or dreaming sleep, you're wide awake. So in the morning, these sleep cycles continue. They continue. So if you wake up to your alarm and you happen to be in a deeper sleep compared to a lighter sleep, you uh, feel worse the moment you wake up. Right. So a lot of times people think they slept poorly the night before just because they woke up in a deeper sleep. And it just means you just need to get up, have a cup of tea, piece of toast, and then feel fine. If you still feel really tired later in the day, then that's more worrying. And that makes me think, okay, something's going on. But if it's just at the start, then just get up and don't worry about it. Interesting. I didn't know that one. That's I've learned something there. Um, okay, somebody else says next, she wakes with almost a mini panic attack, panic attack but in in her dream, she's swallowed a pill that will kill her and her heart's beating fast and she wakes up um, and realizes what's happened. She's quickly calms herself, get, gets back on to sleep. She's, uh, I think she's been, might've been told that, is this because she's anxious? This is not, she says she's not anxious and not worried about anything. Uh, what, what could this be and what is it? And ha- interestingly enough, I had another lady who very very similar story okay that totally to me screams sleep apnea mm-hmm. so sleep apnea which i mentioned before yeah. where you stop breathing during the night now it can be caused by a sort of throat abnormality like really large tonsils if you imagine when you're lying down and when you're asleep your whole body relaxes yeah your muscle tone goes down, so you don't act out your dreams. And so you're all relaxed. If you imagine, if your throat, if you're lying down, and let's say you're a little overweight, your throat would be quite heavy relative to somebody who's not overweight, and it's more likely if your airway could be compressed. Uh-huh. People who snore, their airway is slightly impaired. That's what snoring is. It's the air can't quite go out smoothly, so you make that noise. Yeah. If you have large tonsils or adenoids or your throat, your jaw is a kind of funny shape, you don't have to be overweight, um, then it might stop the airway when you're asleep because your muscle tone is so relaxed. And what's really common is people, like I said before, it's really underdiagnosed because people don't realize it's happening to them. Mm. One of the symptoms is waking up, (gasps) gasping for breath, or having a dream that you can't breathe, that you're choking very very common and you'll wake up and of course your heart is pounding because what happens is when you don't breathe in your sleep because your throat has closed up due to you know, press being the weight of your neck pressing on you or your tonsils or whatever or you've got cold and your airway is impaired so when you don't breathe you just stop breathing for a little while and after 30 seconds up to a minute your body starts to realize it's not getting oxygen and it sends a surge of adrenaline to wake you up, you take a big gasp of breath, go back to sleep again. Now, this can happen 30, 40, 50 times an hour. If you imagine how disruptive that is to your sleep. Now, unless you're awake for two minutes or more, you don't remember that you've woken up. So people literally can be waking up throughout the night. And if you do wake up and you were having a dream, or you, often people are sort of clutching in their throat, thinking there's a pill stuck there or something is stopping them from breathing is because your brain is kind of trying to make sense of the fact why am I not breathing 
Yeah. Um, so for those two people with the same story, I would ask them to go to their doctor and um, ask to get a sleep apnea test, which will be in a sleep lab. And they'll just be able to, well, for a start, they'll just be able to rule it out if it's not a problem. And if it is a problem, then there are different treatment options. Um, if you're very overweight, then you could lose some weight and that can really, really help. Or you can get a, a device, a mandibular device, which is a um, kind of like a mouth guard looking thing that you put in your mouth that would help to force your jaw open. They're all often, often used for snoring as well. Or you can get a CPAP machine, which is a sort of mask thing. You, have, you look a bit like Darth Vader <laughs> and you wear it through the night and it forces air into you throughout the night. And it's not the sexiest thing in the world, to be honest, but it keeps you alive. And the reason sleep apnea is, is so important and why I'm talking about it is because if you keep not breathing, waking up, not breathing, waking up, every time you wake up, your body has had to send a surge of adrenaline, increase your heart rate. It's a panic reaction. Yeah. That puts huge strain on your heart. It's not good for you. So if you suspect sleep apnea, ask your partner, you know, have, hey, have you noticed that I stopped breathing in the night? Or do I keep waking up gasping for breath? If you have those indicators, go and speak to your doctor and they will definitely, maybe not right now in the coronavirus peak, but um, shortly they will go and um, send you for a test and you'll get tested and then they will be able to treat that. Yeah. And then you'll feel amazing afterwards because you'll actually sleep for eight hours and feel refreshed. Yeah, that is very interesting because the one of the ladies is the same lady as in the first question and you brought it up there where she said, I don't feel like I'm getting enough sleep. I'm not getting enough REM sleep. So that's very interesting. Um, and in that case, um, yeah, if you're waking up constantly, she's not really getting enough of any kind of sleep. sleep. Yeah, no. But with regards to you know, Fitbits and that kind of thing, um, obviously other devices are available. Um, they are getting better, but please don't start worrying about your sleep based on what a, a watch tells you. Okay. You know? much more important to know how am I feeling if you feel fine you're probably fine if you don't feel fine there's there possibly a problem there okay right um another this is a man this time he says is it possible to survive on five hours sleep a night long term absolutely is it possible to be awesome and thrive on five hours sleep a night long term no no I think yeah <laughs> absolutely people survive on very little sleep i see clients who have four hours sleep a night for, for 40 years um, and the point is if you reduce the amount of sleep that you get per night regularly either through choice or because you have insomnia then your body and your brain kind of squish into the time available what you need to get done and it rules out a lot of things so think of it like this if you are having a really stressful time at home or at work, you're really stressed, are you going to clean your bathroom? No. If you're really busy and stressed, your bathroom is not high up on the priority list. So you're going to just let it get a bit icky. And then you, in the knowledge that when I'm not so stressed and busy, I'm going to clean my bathroom, which is fine for a week, two weeks. After a month, it's looking a bit yucky. After three months or a year, that would be disgusting. Your brain is like that bathroom. If you don't sleep enough, then your brain decides, okay, prioritize. What do we really need to do in the time available that we have? Yeah. Well, we need to 
uh, repair our body. We need to survive. We need to figure out, you know, sort those memories and come to terms with stuff. But hey, there's a thing, amyloid plaque cleaning out in our brain. So in your brain, you have a buildup of amyloid plaques, which are sticky substances, which cause Alzheimer's. When you sleep, your brain physically washes away those amyloid plaques uh, with cerebrospinal fluid, which is the, the fluid inside your spine. So it physically spring cleans your brain during your sleep. So just like your bathroom, if you're not getting enough sleep, your brain is going to go, hmm, that spring cleaning and getting rid of those amyloid plaques. Let's do that when we've got enough time. Yeah. If you're only sleeping a short amount of time for a, a week, a month, maybe you've got new, a newborn baby and you're not getting enough sleep. Yeah, your brain is not going to be doing that for now. But that's okay for a short while. Is that okay if you're only getting five hours sleep for four years, five years, 10 years? It's just like your bathroom. At some point, that is going to build up and cause problems. Um, Madeline Thatcher, Ronald Reagan, famously got by on four and a half, five hours sleep a night. And they would say, hey, I'm so successful. It's so brilliant. The less sleep you have, the more time you have during the day to be awesome. They both got Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that the lack of sleep caused Alzheimer's, but it definitely didn't help. So if you give yourself enough time to sleep, you will give yourself and your body and your brain the opportunity to do all the things it can do to keep you healthy um, and mentally well. Yeah. And is that not just a, a long term sort of issue, the, the Alzheimer's effect, but in the short term? Because, I mean, I remember when my children were young, they're waking up in the night um, you know, I'd be so forgetful in the day. I, I can't remember things. I can't logically think. Is that what it is, essentially? You're just lacking in sleep and, and that thing just not happening in your brain like it needs. Absolutely. So there's studies to show just one night of poor sleep impairs your ability to make decision, decision making the next day. Just if you're a great sleeper, but one night you have a poor night's sleep, that next day you will not be able to make as good, quick, decisions as you would normally do also your immunity is immediately compromised with one night poor sleep your immune system is significantly lower after just one night of poor sleep than it would be if you'd slept well irrespective of how much sleep you've had for the past week obviously long term not sleeping enough means that your immune system isn't as good as somebody who sleeps more but even a good sleeper who has one poor night is more likely to catch the flu or potentially the coronavirus yeah, I mean, it just highlights, doesn't it? Uh, you really need to set this as your priority, don't you? Every yeah. single night, every single night. And I, see, I, I read on social media all the time, people saying, hey, get up at five and go to the gym before work and then you'll be more healthy. No, you won't. If you get up at five, but you're not giving yourself seven to nine hours sleep beforehand, yeah, you're going to go to the gym, which is good for you, but you're going to be doing damage in so many other ways by not sleeping enough. You're in a sense robbing Peter to pay Paul. So if you want to be healthy and you care about your body, go to the gym and get enough sleep. Yes. You know, find somewhere where you can make time to go to the gym that isn't going to sacrifice something else. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, one man's question actually is about jet lag but we've 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 covered probably that uh so there's a couple more questions um one is um a lady that keeps waking up at the night after four or five hours sleep with a headache sleep headaches 
Okay. You know what's going on there. Um, headaches are, are sometimes associated with sleep apnea as well. Okay. Sorry, bring that back. But, um, Not the same lady this time. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, headaches in the night are, you know, if you haven't slept well, you're more likely to get a headache. Now, everyone wakes up about every hour and a half to two hours. So every time you have a sleep cycle, you'll wake up. Everyone does. But you most often go back to sleep again. So after sort of four or five hours, you probably had two or three sleep cycles. And if you wake up at that point, your sleep drive isn't as high and you might struggle to get back to sleep again. Now, if you wake up after that point of time and you think, oh, no, I've woken up. I've ruined, I, you know, I've, I've ruined my, this is the end of my night. I've got no chance of going back to sleep again. And you start to be worried and anxious. Of course, you're not going to be able to go back to sleep again very easily. Mm. So. You know, if you're getting headaches and waking up and only having four or five hours sleep, then I want to look at you know your sleep hygiene. Are you making good choices before you go to bed? Is your bedroom a sanctuary for sleep, or is it also your office come gym come bedroom? In which case, that's not a really relaxing, wonderful place. Um, so yeah, if you're waking up with headaches, maybe you're not getting enough sleep. Have a look at getting more sleep through sleep hygiene or speaking to a sleep specialist or something, um, but also potentially sleep apnea. Just have a think, you know, are there any other triggers that I'm thinking of causing that? Okay, okay. Now on the reverse side of things, um, I had a gentleman saying uh, he has too much sleep. Uh, he, he's got me actually uh he needs too much sleep he has too much sleep um i suppose that the question also is how does he get back into this natural nine hours and in every 24 hours i guess well with me it's very difficult because it's people are very very tired so it's a if you have an illness like maybe cancer or or me or, or some something chronic fatigue syndrome makes you very tired and you will feel more tired than the average person so rather than forcing yourself to get less sleep be a bit kind to yourself as well if you do want to boost your chances of being alert during the day then try and put in place a regular sleep time wake time and try and get up it, that snooze period in the morning is the worst because it, it's got a waste of time yeah, the reason we do it, you know, when our alarm goes off at seven, but you don't have to be up until half seven. You just press snooze every nine minutes and, until half seven. You're just like not giving yourself that half an hour of sleep. If you only have to get up at half seven, then set the alarm for half seven and get up. Then you're going to have another half an hour of good sleep. If you're feeling tired and you just let yourself stay in bed snoozing, it's not really great quality sleep. So I'd ask him to look at, you know, um, am I spending long periods of time in bed that are really sort of wasting time if you want to have if you can't get through the day because you're so tired have a nap have an intentional deliberate nap at around you know, lunchtime our circadian rhythms have a bit of a dip we're supposed to have a siesta we're biologically programmed to have an afternoon nap really it's just society that stops us in the uk um, and other countries but not spain because they're awesome so <laughs> So have a nap in the afternoon um, and then in the morning, make sure that when you wake up, you open those curtains and you get that bright light that you're waking yourself up. Have a regular breakfast, lunchtime, dinner time, 
just try and get up and be regular because that will help your circadian rhythm to know when it's morning and to help you to wake up but yeah be kind to yourself if you've got something else going on it's okay to sleep more than nine hours but try to think am i actually sleeping or am i just being in bed because if you're just being in bed you can be just as rested sitting on a chair you know talking to your kids or watching tv or doing something mm. okay i used to snooze i used to snooze for half an hour an hour sometimes i don't snooze anymore <laughs> I, haven't got, I haven't got time to snooze anymore i guess the reason um, I, snooze, I didn't mention is because <clears throat> the sensation of falling asleep is pleasant it's a nice feeling so that's why we do it because we repeatedly like ah oh, falling asleep and you feel nice oh i'm falling asleep so that's why you do it but but you're not getting a lot of benefit of sleeping because you just keep waking yourself up no you're right um okay i thought well that's the end of the questions that came in um is there anything oh and you know if if there's people or anyone else listening um decides that they might want to talk to you more um of course they can i've got a testimonial here by one of your um clients um or it's she it's a sam uh, i would definitely recommend seeking advice from dr browning as her insight and knowledge has been incredibly useful to me i have suffered from insomnia for many years and by making a few small changes to my sleep patterns that were suggested by dr browning the results have been quite impressive i now understand the importance of sleep cycles and stages and what they mean for a good sleep hygiene how the amount of time spent in bed when not sleeping can affect sleep quality and how to manage the regular waking up throughout the night. Sam from Reading. So that's a um, lovely testimonial. Is, um, have you got anything to, to add or to say um, on anything that you might think, you know, I wish people knew this about sleep or I never get questioned about this, but it's really important or anything like that. I get regularly um, asked about the waking up throughout the night, especially as we get older. So when we're young, we tend to wake, we, like I said, everybody wakes up every hour and a half to two hours. Every time you have a sleep cycle, you'll wake up at the end of it. Okay. But when we're young, we go back to sleep again and we don't even realize we've woken up. But as we get older, like we hit 40, 50, these awakenings start to become longer and they start to become longer enough so that you realize you've woken up. And you might start to think, oh no, my sleep, I used to sleep for seven hours in a block, which was good sleep, and now I'm waking up two or three times. That's bad, my sleep is suddenly of poorer quality. But actually it's exactly the same quality, you're just aware that you've woken up. And then when you wake up, you might realize you need the toilet. Because if you think about it, during the day, most people go to the toilet every two to three hours. That's sort of normal. If you've been asleep for two to three hours, then your bladder is going to be a bit full. Loads of people I see are really worried that needing the toilet is waking them up and therefore they will stop drinking any liquid at six o'clock or they'll start to worry that they've got prostate cancer because they're waking up, you know, needing the toilet. And most of the time, it's just the fact that you realise that you're awake and then you realise your bladder is a bit full. So there is nothing to worry about. Just get up, go to the toilet, come back to bed again. Everything is fine and go back to sleep. It's completely normal, um, but that's a, a really common thing I, I hear. And I just reassure people it's normal. And as soon as you're reassured it's normal, they're like, oh, great. And then your sleep is fine. Yeah. Because if you think your sleep's wrong, 
that you try and sleep harder or better, like you saw at the beginning of the talk, that that's when it all starts to go wrong. Yeah, there's a, I know of a few people with uh, that story uh, closely. In fact, I know them. So yeah, um, that that might help them. Uh, so I ask um, everybody this. Um, it's called "It's a Sublime Life," and what makes life sublime for you? I'm, so that might sound a bit corny, but genuinely helping people. I love my job because I help people. You know, and, and often people phone me up and I can fix their sleep in that 15 minutes. And yeah, I don't earn any money from that, but I've helped them. And genuinely, that's why I do this. If I could do my job for free, if my mortgage was paid, <laughs> I would do, you know? So I'm so happy when I help people. Um, so that's really great. My kids love them, love my husband, love my dog. It's just just having a normal life, making life happy for your family and helping other people is, is makes life sublime. That sounds absolutely lovely. And I've really enjoyed our talk today. And I think that's going to help a lot of people actually. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for coming on. Um, and, and hopefully catch up with you some point in the future. Yeah. Thank you. And um, yeah, happy World Mental Health Week that's been asleep and hopefully people will be realizing how important it is and actually prioritizing it. Yes. And hopefully it'll, if they can't sleep well, then some of these tips today will help them to improve their sleep. Brilliant, thank you. Thank you so much.